Hello, and welcome to the Homeland Podcast. Step out to find out it's wet and warm, wet and warm. Tra-la-la, 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 tra-la-la. Hello, I'm Bryce Merriman, and you're listening to the Homeland Lab Podcast. In every community, one of the city agencies most impacted by homelessness are parks departments. For people who don't have anywhere else to go, parks become refuges of safety within the city. But the impacts of homelessness can also erode the public's perception of parks as a public place that is safe and welcoming to everyone. To understand how the city of Denver balances these competing perspectives on homelessness, I sat down with Scott Gilmore Denver's Deputy Executive Director of Parks and Planning, to hear how his agency is addressing the homelessness crisis. And to begin, I started by asking Scott to introduce me to Denver's park system. You know, they would find a wealth of amazing parks in Denver, Colorado. We have an amazing system, 260 parks, around 6,000 acres. Those are a wide variety of parks. Those are our urban parks. Mm -hmm. Um, We have traditional parks um, in the sense of the eastern parks that, you know, we're we're a Great Plains city. We were prairie, Um, but we have parks that have, you know, large trees and boulevards and beautiful historic structures. Um, You'd find a lot of those parks, some beautiful, beautiful parks. But you'd also find some newer type parks where they're more prairie ecosystem Mm. and and natural landscapes and sustainable and parks that are on recycled water and um, just lots of different. uh, I think one of the most amazing things of our park system is our parkway system, which um, was was created to connect all of our parks um, together in our city. So um, pretty, pretty cool park system. Um, one of the other things that a lot of cities don't have, which we are blessed to have, is a mountain park system. Our forefathers were smart enough to, to invest in the mountains that surround Denver that are to the west of Denver. Um, we have approximately about 14,000 acres of mountain parks. Um, um, we have Red Rocks. Red Rocks Amphitheater is a Denver park. We have Buffalo Bill is buried in one of our parks. We have two bison herds um, that we own that are descendants of the bison from Yellowstone. We have the highest elevation park in the country at Echo Lake um, or Summit Lake. Echo Lake is the lake that sits below Summit Lake, but then we have another um, park that sits above that, that's Summit Lake, that actually is in the Alpine Tundra. And um, so, and then we have parks that we've partnered with um, our airport, uh, Denver International Airport, where we've created a park on the airport that is over 200 acres of open space where we are planning to have bison roam that are from the, that are actually part of the herd that the U.S. Fish and Wildlife manages on the um, U.S. The Rocky Mountain Arsenal National Wildlife Refuge. Oh. And so we are in partnership with uh, the refuge, with Denver Parks and Recreation, and the airport to actually have a property that you really don't know where you're at. You don't know if you're on federal land. You don't know if you're on Denver land. You don't know if you're on airport land. But you can hike through it and enjoy seeing hawks and eagles and deer and coyotes and foxes. You can see um, they've just recently released black-footed ferrets 
on this property, which are, you know, an endangered species. And then hopefully we can actually work out the details to actually um, expand the bison um, pastures onto these properties. So Holy pretty, cow. pretty cool stuff. I feel like we could end the podcast now because I just learned <laughs> way more about Denver parks than I ever knew before. <laughs> um, of course, like any big city park system, though, I, I'm sure that you're experiencing the impacts of homelessness. And if someone was visiting your parks, what would they see on, on that front of, of things? Um, so, um, like, like you said, every city, I was just walking here and um, I saw, you know, walk by some parks. And, and we're in L.A. The, for yes, the record we're, here. <laughs> we're in L.A. and L.A. is probably probably have the most challenging homeless issue um, in the country. Um, I've been to various cities around the, the country. Um, just got back from Minneapolis, St. Paul at Greater and Greener. Um, they don't, it, you still see it there. Um, um, LA definitely takes, takes the crown. Um, I know it's not one they are proud to wear, but you know, they are doing some very creative things here. Yeah. Um, I've been to Portland. And so I, over the last two or three years, I've really tried to educate myself I, by training. I am a wildlife biologist. Okay. Wow. And so, um, the, the mayor of Denver asked me to come work for him about six years ago and help manage the parks department. Um, as time went on, um, probably about four years ago, the homeless issue just really started to, to really spike. Mm-hmm. Um, saw a lot of social issues. Um, homelessness is just not, you just can't say it's homelessness. Um, it's, there are so many social issues that go with um, homelessness. You've got um, affordable housing. People can't afford to, first of all, can't afford to live in some of our booming cities. You have drug addiction, either heroin, meth, um, crack, alcohol. Um, you have all those issues. Then you also have mental health issues um, where you just you have individuals that just um, need help um, and need support. So about four years ago, um, it just it just really became apparent that we as a city, Denver as a city, had to really start addressing this issue um, firsthand, um, being proactive. Mm-hmm. And so a lot of the things that we did, um, we really started just trying to make sure that um, one thing that I have been able to do as a parks, as a parks advocate or a parks director, um, when I started my job six years ago, I had two park rangers for my whole system. Um, pretty, you know, they got out. And, and, and what are park rangers in Denver? Because other our park, cities use that different means. Yes, our park rangers are not law enforcement. Okay, they are they are trained in de-escalation techniques. Okay, they do carry mace. Um, they do carry some protection, um, but they are not. They will not go out and issue um, criminal tickets. Mm-hmm. They are allowed to issue civil tickets, like for dog walking or uh, smoking marijuana in a park Mm -hmm. or glass in a park, skateboarding where you shouldn't be skateboarding. So they're allowed to issue tickets. Um, Some things that I have been able to do when I started my job two years, six years ago, I had two rangers. The only things they could enforce were dog off leash with a ticket book from actually environmental health department, our environmental health department. And they could also issue tickets for, um, parking, mm-hmm. um, illegal parking. And that ticket book was actually from public works. <laughs> so it was a very, very ineffective, um, inefficient way to try to manage challenging situations in our parks. The other problem is people knew that. So a kid skateboarding in one of our historic structures basically could flip off our Rangers and our Rangers, you know, may call the police, but how, 
how important is it for the police department to dispatch someone to go try to chase a kid out of a historic structure sure. and skateboard sure. just wasn't happening so some of the first steps we did was we actually um, implemented an update of our rules and regulations mm-hmm. and then we actually added ordinances to help to allow our rangers to enforce those rules and regulations so mm-hmm. at this point our rangers now can enforce all of our park rules and regulations okay. so that really really helped some of those park rules and regulations actually do um, as a city we don't target homeless populations per se we target um things that are happening in our parks that are against our park rules and regulations which have we didn't really create any new regulations when we came in when when the mayor started and i took this job Um, some of the regulations that we had that were not enforceable that are now enforceable are structures structures and parks Um, you can't pitch a tent in a park Mm -hmm. you cannot pitch a a structure that has a bottom and a top Mm -hmm. Um, the other one that was really important for us to be able to enforce was curfew we have all of our parks have curfew our mountain parks are are dusted on but our um our urban parks are 11 our parks close at 11 they open back up at five and that allowed us to really just manage um people being in our parks that um just that we're staying overnight so that allowed us to just manage that um some of the other things that we've really tried hard to do and so that the two rangers have gone from two rangers to this coming year um, we've got to improve for a few more rangers. I think we will be at 14. Mm. Um, mm. And with all the necessary equipment, trucks, um, just bikes, things to get them around the city, the core of the city, we have been really beefing up our enforcement in our downtown area. Do those park rangers <coughs> also, you mentioned that they were trained in de-escalation techniques, yes. which is phenomenal. Do they also have a social service provision? So what we do, so we do have some, we do work very closely with all of our other agencies. Um, so along with, you know, the, the improvements in the enforcement of our rules and regulations, what we started doing was actually going out and, and addressing those, the violations of our rules and regulations, which could be encampments or, or areas that have gotten to be an environmental hazard. Actually, um, we are having a real problem there before I, um, the thing I want to talk um, talk to you real quick is one thing that our park staff were doing which was I, I would suggest this to any any agency any park agency that has to deal with cleanups of encampments or or environmentally challenging situations um, that means human feces that means um, um, just debris that means hypodermic needles that means glass and just it just means the encampments that have just gotten to be um a little they become dangerous for your staff to go what we've done is our staff actually our our parks our park staff three years ago our trails we have a specific trails crew um they would go down and if they came across an abandoned area where stuff was they would clean it up at that point um in that within like a two-year period i had I think three to four staff pricked by hypodermic needles, hmm. which means they have to go through a six month regiment uh, of testing, okay. um, which is very painful. And it, it, it's, it, it just, it takes a lot. Yeah. It was just, they were not trained 
Um, they're not trained. That's probably I mean, not what they signed up for. We're paying twelve. <laughs> we're paying between twelve and fourteen bucks an hour. Yeah, yeah. That is not something that um, they signed up for. So what we did actually, which ties into some of the other stuff I'll talk about, is we actually looked for an environmental cleanup um, company that is trained in that type of work, and we actually um, worked with the the mayor's office and other agencies within the city, public works, environmental health, to actually. Um, do a contract to hire a environmental cleanup mm-hmm. um, contractor. So now what we do now is we actually utilize the rangers. The rangers will go out, and if we know there's an area that we're challenged, a lot of our most challenging areas are in our river corridors, mm-hmm. um, in our creek corridors, and some of those areas. Um, those are parks. We only worry about parks. We don't go out and try to do right away or other parts of the city. We go out. Um, we have worked with the legal the legal team um, of the city. Mm -hmm. And I think that would be another thing that people just need to really understand is they need to make sure that everything they're doing, they pass by the attorneys. Mm -hmm. Um, We work really closely with them. We've come up with some, uh, some verbiage that we actually have signage that when we come across an encampment, we we post it. Um, If it's abandoned, you know, we post it still. And we say we are going to come back and we're going to clean up this area. It's an it's in an area. It's in a park area. There's this this is not allowed. Um, and so we we leave it. We hopefully if somebody's in the encampment, we let them know that you know you cannot camp in a park mm-hmm. and it needs to be cleaned up. And usually the rangers. I think the best thing about one of the good things about rangers is that they're not police mm-hmm. and they can get compliance. Um, when the police come down sometimes, and I, I love the police, and I work incredibly closely with the Denver Police Department, um, sometimes it just already it becomes confrontational immediately. Right. right. And so with our rangers, our rangers can be really soft, and they can actually, hey, say, you know, um, here's the park rules and regulations. Um, you know, you're in violation of these. You know, we're not ticking you or anything. Um, you just need, you need to take these actions to get within compliance. They could work on that. And then also in that same time, what our rangers do is actually we have brochures to provide them that tells them about all the services in the city. Um, if you need, you know, you want a shelter or if you want to talk to the human services or if you have a specific issue, we have brochures that cover all those issues. A lot of those times when we go through areas, we actually do have the um, human services um, workers with us mm-hmm. that actually mm-hmm. can um, uh, connect up. Um, people with services then and right then and there and get them into services the other time depending on the size of the encampments or the cleanup efforts we could possibly have our um, um, our officers our different police officers we actually have homeless outreach officers that are specifically trained to work with the homeless population so a lot of times they tag along and just make sure that the rangers are you know following protocol and making sure that we're all working together as a team so um so you know that's that's worked really well so our our rangers don't clean up they just post and then the following day they go back with the cleanup crew and we actually clean up areas and so what do you do with the property i know that this is this is something that the cities across the country yes. are dealing with so what a do you do lot with the property? of a lot of the situations say it's an abandoned encampment we'll we'll have the cleanup crew actually go through the property make sure if there's any valuables any birth certificates medication mm-hmm. anything we keep that stuff and we we have the police hold on to those um 
and then if there is some other valuable type things um, it's the same process same type of process that we have um, with public works we have a little bit different we try to make we do we don't throw away anything valuable and we will store it or we'll work with the police to store it um, public works our public works department um, actually does we have buildings that we do store mm -hmm. stuff in mm -hmm. and so we'll we'll put everything in bins we'll label them and we put them into storage for a between 30 days at least 30 days at a minimum mm -hmm. and some days we sometimes we've held stuff up to 90 mm -hmm. so we have been very um, diligent in that because that is one of those issues that um, you just can't go and just start throwing stuff away right, um, right. and I yeah it, it's just not acceptable it, it feels like urban park systems are in such a tough spot in that you've mentioned all the failures of society I mean mental health situation drugs um, affordable housing like these are big upstream issues yep. that urban parks feel the brunt of yep. and, and I'm wondering if and or how you're having conversations to address some of those other systematic causes so, I think some of the and that's that's some of my 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 talks when I give talks you know to you know conventions or to these shows um you know the one thing I'm, I'm stressing to everybody is highlight the positives we just talked about all the negatives right, right, right. all everything was you know it was it was negative 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 you know these are really tough issues social issues drug addiction alcoholism you know can't afford my house i've lost my house it, those are so challenging but um, one thing we're really doing in Denver is working on the positives. Um, so we've actually created an office of hope, and that's housing opportunities for people everywhere. Okay. Um, we're, we're putting money toward that. I believe we're, we're investing $10 million a year um, for, I believe, the next 10 years or so. I'm not exactly sure on that one. But that's to create affordable housing either in developing areas or to actually create separate um, um, housing opportunities. That is so. That's huge. We actually just hired a director last year. He's really starting to get rolling. He's really doing some good work. Um, that's been good. Um, another thing that we've done is, you know, one of the challenges that we've always faced, and some of these things seem small, but they're really, really powerful. Um, if you look around the city, you see people pushing their shopping carts, mm -hmm. and you mm -hmm. see, and then you're like, you've got to understand that the that's that's somebody's livelihood in that cart. You can't just go and throw that cart away or just tell that person, hey, why don't you just go get a job? And, you know, that person's standing there with their cart. They have nowhere to put it. So one thing we've done is actually near our rescue mission and our Catholic charities, we actually worked with them and we actually um, purchased a lot of large containers mm. that um, people can actually work with um, to check out through the Catholic charities. And I think it's either... Both of them. It might be both Catholic Charities and the Rescue Mission. Um, <clears throat> you can actually sign up and check check it out for like a thirty day period. So you can actually come in, you know, get a meal in the morning, put your put your stuff in a secure location. You have the key, or you actually, I think we let them put locks on them, um, and then you can go look for a job, or go go deal with human services, or go take care of take care of what you need to do to get back on track. And not just be immediately branded no. as experiencing homelessness no. right now and so having the car. So we've done that. One, th one other thing that we've done in that area, the rescue mission, our rescue mission, um, 
was basically a night shelter, and, and they put people in there during the day. The city really helped them uh, move forward with a whole day area, mm-hmm. and so they they just recently opened up an area where people can take showers and wash their clothes and get cleaned up, and then there's a big courtyard. Um, and so um, we're really trying to help those service providers to um, take that next step. So those are some of the things we're working with. The, we're also working with the shelters to actually build new shelters to create, um, make sure that, you know, we're work, we work incredibly hard to make sure that if you want a bed in Denver, if you need a spot to lay, you should have a spot to lay. Mm-hmm. And so that's been, that's been a real, real thing that we do. We, as a parks department, you know, that's not all us, but like, you know, Denver does get cold. It gets, we get down to, we can get down to minus 10 or so during the winter and we'll have, you know, week long here. One thing that we've done in the past, Denver Parks and Rec has actually opened up our rec centers as emergency shelters. Um, so, um, that's been very successful. So we try to always make sure to do our part as a city. Um, and so that's worked well. Um, and so, Tying that, you know, we also are looking at pilot type projects where, you know, we we want to encourage, you know, the homeless population. You know, they're part of our city. They're our most vulnerable. So we're looking at maybe some creative ways of opening our rec centers because our rec centers aren't open 24 hours a day. And they some of them close like some of them close at two or something, you know, in areas where we have higher um, homeless populations we're looking at maybe opening our rec centers you know once they close maybe we open it up to that population for you know maybe six hours mm-hmm. and they can come in bring their stuff we'll have you know people there we have a we have a non-profit that we work with bayad enterprises that has a laundry truck and so maybe they can bring their laundry truck park it in front people can do their laundry mm-hmm. go inside take showers in the rec center maybe even do a yoga class or maybe we can have a barber or somebody from our denver health um doing little you know mini checkups so you know that's been something that we're looking at um there like i said i've been all, I've been all over <laughs> i went to portland i've been to portland a few times because they've got some they've got some challenging issues Portland has a pretty cool um, setup. They have a place called Bud Clark Commons, and um, it's not a park, and it's not. But I, I I toured it twice while I was there last time, and they actually it's a full um, it's a wraparound service um, shelter, but it's also got um, units for people to live in. Like I believe like two hundred units. People they're they're built for people to you know, get in, get off the streets and get out of the cold. Mm-hmm. And, um, they've got a little kitchen bedroom and, you know, that's basically it. I think they're about 300 square feet. Mm-hmm. Not a lot, but it's enough to get people off the street and give them some dignity. And get them stabilized. Yes. And then you also have a shelter there that actually, um, uh, helps men get off the street, but also it's half and half, half of them are veterans, half are just, you know, non-veterans. So there's like, I don't know, maybe a hundred spaces for them, but then in the the floors above them, they actually have a medical center, uh, clinic. They have laundry. They have a day area, um, a little library area. It's it's wraparound services. It's it was pretty. Uh, like I said, I toured it twice. It's called the Bud Clark Commons. It's pretty phenomenal, mm-hmm. um, and so. 
Um, Denver's looking at in the future of possibly we we went and toured it and you know um, it's not happening now. But that is that is one of those models that seems to maybe help. Yeah. yeah. Um, one of the other big programs for us um, that we've really put some effort into. Um, one of those positive, you know, good, feel good stories. I think um, as a as a head of the Department of Parks and Rec. You know, I can I can have the media go out to a park and film our one of our parks and, and talk about the homeless in the park and it could be all negative. Or I could really work hard to give them a positive story to jump on. One of our six uh, one of our stories over the last year has been um the Denver Day Works program. Um, we've been um, we're working with Bayout Industries or Bayout Enterprises, the same ones that have the laundry truck um, nonprofit very well respected in, in the city of Denver. Um, they are working, they're doing a day work program um, um, with the city. Um, they meet at one of our parks and then they have 12 to 15 people show up. They have a mini bus and they, we give them, they work in parks. They work with my um, volunteer coordinator. So we kind of almost run it as a volunteer program. They come and they go and they mulch trees, they pick up trash, they mulch playgrounds, they plant trees. They they learn about what we do in Parks and Rec every day. And during that process, what we're doing is, as a Parks Department, we always struggle to find seasonals. A, a large part of our workforce is seasonals, and we never fill them all, okay. ever. Yeah. And so I always looked at this as, I, you know, I, I always argued that, maybe this is a way where we can actually find good people that can work for us. Mm -hmm. Um, and so what's happened is, um, we've had some people come to the Denver day works program and and worked really hard and, and did really well. And we're moving them into our permanent workforce. That's great. And so we have approximately about six at this time. So do you have any standout stories? uh, Uh, we have, um, Rita, Rita is, she's a, single single hispanic female that came in and and you know just was struggling she was in some transitional housing and just was you know struggling um, we got her a job we got her work and she worked incredibly hard they're actually training her now to be a horticulturist awesome in our in our because we have some of the most amazing flower beds in the country and so they're training her actually to become a horticulturist um, through that whole process, we were able to get her housing. She's in a house now. She's always wanted a little dog. First thing she told me is that she wanted a place that she could have a dog. And so she's now got a place she can have a dog. And, so, and we'll probably be bringing her on um, in a more permanent status this coming year. Uh, I'm Keenan, a young African-American male. Um, quiet. But he just goes out and works, 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 works. And he's, he's been amazing. So um, same situation. They're both working in our downtown core. Um, how this how this program kind of got started, too, was, you know, we were, we were... One thing that we're doing that also goes along with parks is um, parks are one of the places... Our downtown does not have a lot of restrooms. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. We just don't have a lot of restrooms available, and I don't think a lot of park systems do. You know, we've gone to... Portland has gone to the Portland Lou, and I've seen those, and we're seeing if those might work in Denver. But um, um, we have three bathrooms in our downtown core that are in parks, um, in our Civic Center Park, Skyline Park, and Commons Park. And we were locking them up because people were going into them and shooting up 
mm-hmm. and, and they were plugging the toilets because they were throwing their needles into the toilets and they'd back up. We'd have to shut it down and clean them up. It was just pretty bad. Mm-hmm. And so just in that process, you know, um, the city, our city actually put together a restroom task force and we were talking about how do we determine where we put restrooms. We just don't want to plop them down and then we have the same problems that we already have. So we actually bought some um, temporary or some portable, some really mm-hmm. nice portable restrooms that have, um, we can hook up and move around the city. Mm-hmm. Um, and we've hired attendants that go with those restrooms. And so it, the reason we started doing that was because we had a restroom in, in our, right off our mall, our main mall, 16th Street Mall. And, and, and nice restrooms, heated, warm during the winter. And we were closing because of the issues I mentioned. Well, I had told staff, just hire someone to walk to keep them open just hire someone i don't care if they sit there there's actually a little office that's next to them so we just have someone clean up around there clean the restrooms and then watch people going in they have stalls i would always suggest if you're going to build a restroom do not make it a single stall you make it multiple stalls so you can prop the door open and not not let somebody close the bathroom door and lock it um, so if they go in a stall and lock it that's a little separate than locking the whole bathroom so always don't ever design a restroom with a single stall if you have to spend extra money to have multiple stalls do it period um, i'll just tell you that right now and that's that's a planner thing now you know planners might look at it and say oh yeah this will be nice you can multiple stalls okay um, if anybody gets anything out of this take that take that um so now we have that restroom actually has multiple stalls, so we're able to prop the doors open, and we have an attendant. I found out, and this was after the fact, there was a guy that was working in the park with this this lady that we hired to keep the restrooms open, and he was homeless. Mm-hmm. He was living under a bridge along our South Platte River, and he would come to the park and hang out. We call him Pops. This was before we did Denver Day Works or anything, um, and... So, and we were starting the whole restroom study. We're trying to figure it out. We hadn't even purchased the portable restrooms yet. Uh, so my, my, go, my goal, my task as, 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 you know, the head of the parks department was to get the restrooms open that we had because it was embarrassing. We had restrooms and people needed to go to the bathroom and they couldn't right. go to the bathroom. So this, this lady that was working in the parks, this guy would always come and he knew her and they would talk and he'd go clean up the trash. And so I was in the park one day and I was like, dude why don't we just hire this guy he's cleaning up anyway so we we hired him he's still working to for us to stay to today um, working in the park cleaning up that same park um he has housing now um she has and i didn't know this she was living in her car oh my goodness. when we hired her and she was able to get housing so that was kind of the whole start of the, our, our whole work program um, it was just kind of organic mm-hmm. um and so that's been that's been pretty successful. And then we we branched out into the Denver Day Works program. We started our rep more portable restroom program, which moves around to different locations. Um, we did the lockers. We did um, we've done all these different things um, to really try to. Um, so the thing, the reason that became a big deal is um, we had some really negative press about um, the heroin use along our creek. And it was just, you know, and a lot of those individuals are homeless. Um, We, it's our Cherry Creek. It had become the place for people to go down and and either buy heroin or use heroin. Right. So we did some, 
some um, management techniques. We actually closed some areas. We were able to, because we can manage our park spaces and we can close areas if we want. So we actually physically closed some areas with, you know, either paint, signage, or even um, ballers and, and post and chain. And that allowed, when you close some, my rangers can get, my rangers can go to somebody using heroin. And, and, but that's not the most um, safe situation for my rangers to be in. So, um, and heroin is actually a felony to use heroin and to sell heroin. So um, we actually did this working with our Denver Police Department to actually close some areas so they could actually address people that were selling heroin in those areas. The reason I think that's really critically important, too, is that usually those heroin people that are selling heroin are selling them to homeless people. They're preying on the homeless population. So we've really worked hard to, to address where people are selling drugs in our city and, and, and trying to put a halt to them preying on our homeless population mm -hmm. um, because it's a vicious cycle. Sure. Um, we need to be reaching out to those homeless population and trying to get them into services, not just allowing um, open drug sales in our city. So that's been something we've really tried hard to deal with. And that, so there was some really negative press about that. You know, the press went down and rightfully so they covered it. Um, so jumped on it, I, I, working with my team, jumped on it, working with the different police department patrols and everything. Within three weeks, four weeks, um, we really got a handle on it. I mean, it was like they'll never, you know, the story was they're never going to be able to get a handle on this. We called the news story and called the news station back and um, said, hey, why don't you just, you know, we, we know you had this story. Why don't you come back and, and check this out? Walk the, walk the creek with me. So we go down there with the same, not the same reporter, but the same film, film, like the same cameraman. Mm -hmm. And he was like, this is not the same place. <laughs> he said, a month ago I was down here and there was just open, rampant drug use down, down here. I don't see any. I said, well, we, we, we saw your story. The mayor called me and the mayor said, Scott, we need to, you know, we need to address this and figure out how we can fi fix this. And so it didn't take a million dollars. It didn't take a lot of money. It took some yellow paint, some signage, and working with our Denver Police Department to, to stop it. And so it was pretty, pretty effective. And so through that, though, I got a good contact. I got a really good contact with the media. We have a, we have a, a news station called, um, it, well, it's our Channel 9 station um, in Denver. And uh, this, this reporter named Kyle Clark he started a whole new TV um, news um, news reporting um, show, which is pretty cool. And he called it Next, and it's like taking the next step. Mm -hmm. And the really cool thing that he did, they did, is they covered the, 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 the issues with the heroin use on our creek, but they followed up, and they came out, and they covered it, and they said, you know what, Denver's doing things right. And he actually talked about you know, I don't want our news to be all negative. And I'd love to cover positive stories. So in that span of me talking to him about that, I actually talked to him about hiring the homeless. <laughs> we call them Pops. Um, hiring Pops. And that Pops had, had started working. He had started helping us clean, keep our restrooms open. And they were like, dude, you hiring homeless people? And we took him out there and he, he interviewed him in the park that he worked in. And Pops was actually able to tell him, yeah, I just got housing, too, about two weeks ago. And I was in my garden working. And, and man, you couldn't, I couldn't 
it was great media coverage. It really, really elevated what we were doing, and people really started paying attention. And then we started our Denver Day Works program, so they started coming out and covering that. They saw us doing lockers, and yeah, we can go out and, and hit all the negative, but we were able to really hit a lot of positive stuff as a city that we were doing to help people get back in the game. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I mean, we were trying to help people really get, you know, that might have just taken one wrong step. We were really trying to help them, you know, them positive roles and, you know, having positive roles in society. I think that many of the people that I've talked to within city government are just kind of experiencing it, experiencing homelessness as a phenomenon in their day-to-day lives. Like, they feel like it's insurmountable. Like, it's so complex. It's so <laughs> entrenched, um, especially over, the, like, the last four or five years. Yeah. Uh, but it feels like you don't feel that way. You know, I, I believe if you want to go out and you want to you embrace the negative and just the, the, the sorrow and just everything that's going on in the world, and we have a lot of it right now, you can do that. I'd rather go out and try to embrace the, the, the happiness and, and the success stories and, and trying to uh, make sure that if there's a person out there that wants a job and wants to, to work in our park system, that I help them. Yeah. Um, and so um, I've really, you know, and I've learned a lot over the last four years. I mean, I, I, I would be like one of the people that probably aren't going to listen to this podcast. Uh, you know, you walk to, you go to a new city and you, you walk down the street and you're walking down the street. You are not looking at that homeless person on the corner. You are not, you're trying to avoid eye contact. You're trying to get from point A to point B. I don't do that anymore. I actually, when I pull up to a light and there's someone asking for money, I look him in the eye and I'll say, Hey, how you doing? I won't give them money because I, I'm not going to, I'm not going to perpetuate just handing somebody money. Um, through my window, um, I, I will. If they say they want to have a job, I'll tell them that. Hey, we're we're hiring. You go to DenverGov.org. You can look at. You know, the jobs will pop up. Park seasonal labor, park utility worker. We are hiring people today. Go into the. There's. We have a lot of our parks actually sit next to libraries. Our libraries. We work really closely with our libraries, and a lot of times I'll be like, "There's a computer in that library." You can walk in that library right now and apply to for a job with my department. You can put this information down, and if you you put my name down, or there might be a spot where you can actually say um, I was referred to the department. You can put my name, but I'm not gonna. I'm also gonna expect high things out of you if you put my name down. I'm gonna expect <laughs> you to work hard. So, I I think we need to embrace the the, the good the good in our in our country. And in our cities, because we have some amazing, amazing cities in this country and, and some amazing, amazing people um, that might have just fallen on hard times because of one bad mistake or, or, or something. It, any of us, any of us, anybody at this conference, any, any planner, any, anybody that thinks that this won't, can't happen to them, it can happen to you. And so keep that in mind um, when you're trying to walk past that pie, that person and not make eye contact. Just a lot of these people just want you to say hi. They just want to be acknowledged. And so sometimes, you know, just take out a little time um, to, to get to know somebody. Um, you know, and, and this is more planners. You know, this, you, you're, you're, you're working with planners. 
Planners need to get out in the parks. Planners cannot continue to sit in their cubicles and make plans for parks and, and, and decide, hey, this is what I learned in college and I want to implement it in this park. It doesn't work that way. This is real life. You might design some. You might think we had a design in our city where we had a little park and, and we, we invested a lot of money. It was before I was the boss. <laughs> we probably still would have did it, though. We invested a lot of money in this little park in, in, in an area where our shelters are. Probably over a million dollars, making it really nice. And, you know, expecting people to come to the park. Well, people came to the park. A lot of homeless people came to the park, and then the drug dealers followed them. And it became, uh, it became a, a really, really bad. It got to be so bad that National Geographic covered it, mm. that that was where you could buy drugs in Denver. Mm-hmm. And at that point, we actually um, talked to our, our, one of our nonprofit partners, um, Denver Urban Gardens. We call him Doug. And we created an urban garden on that plot, on that spot. And um, we um, we um, are growing crops there now, and actually the rescue mission um, is growing crops there for their their kitchen. And so you know you take a negative and make it a positive. But like I was saying, you as a planners, you got to get out there and see the problems. You know, uh, we had some we redesigned a park and we put a bunch of benches together. You know, like like this, these benches that are sitting like this, so people could gather. That's what this is here for. Well, in that park, it made gatherings and actually made large gatherings of individuals to that just overwhelm the park so what we had to do is you know just trying to use some common sense we actually still wanted benches in the park we still wanted people to sit in the park and we wanted to give people uh, serene and quiet places to sit in this park so we actually took all the benches we didn't take any out of the park but we spread them out and we made individuals areas and it, it really helped so it really helped on the the negative gatherings of individuals. So um, just small things that you don't think that um, might make a difference can make a huge difference. So, have, have you learned any tricks about um, how to get people who are housed and how to get people who are unhoused in your parks to interact? Like it feels like I'm, my, my ideal yeah. of, of public spaces is where everyone can come together. Yeah. So, um, I think our recreation, I think if you're parks and recreation, you can maybe, um, use the recreational opportunities to Mm -hmm. maybe make some of those things happen where you can actually have some programming that encourages homeless individuals to maybe do yoga or do some other workout stuff. Um, we actually have a homeless, um, softball league really? in Denver really? um, where they play in one of our parks all the time. It's one of our our, 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 our city parks. Um, there's a lot of those types of programs around the country. Um, that's going to be always going to go on those challenges because, you know, when you have... It, it, it's isn't, that, it's it is that, intimidating. I mean, the experience of walking down the street. It's sad. Yeah. You walk down the street and you, you, you want to just go to where you're going. You don't want to interact a lot of times and I get that. Um, it's the same thing. Do you... Um, to be bluntly honest, I mean, do you think people that are doing a yoga class want that homeless individual that's sitting over there with the shopping cart to join in with them? Um, it's a real or looking challenge. at it from the other side, like I think I think people who are experiencing homelessness feel so stigmatized yep. and, and unwelcome in so many spaces. Yep. Giving that invitation can, um, can potentially be. So I think that's one of those things. I think that we want to really kind of try to work on is the, is 
you know, when we did, when we started the Denver Day Works program, one thing that we, it sounds like it's a great program, and it is, uh, but there was a huge learning curve because, mm-hmm. you know, we got mm-hmm. them started, started working. So I put one one guy that was really good. He, he worked really hard. He, you know, he was like, Mr. Gilmore, I want, I want a job, and I want to be successful. And so put him to work. Uh, put him in a truck with three other park employees, and they came back, and they were like, Scott. He, um, he hasn't showered in weeks. And so luckily, luckily my staff was pretty, my staff is pretty proactive. They actually, we, you know, we have showers in some of our, in our some of our maintenance facilities. So, and we have lot, we have washing machines. So yeah. they actually took him, got all his clothes washed and got him, you know, let him take a shower and got him cleaned up and everything. And, and he was able to, you know, start to really adjust and fit in but that's not something you think of when you say hey let me hire a homeless person right. you, you're not thinking about oh i'm gonna put him in a truck and he's right. he's gonna smell like he's been out outdoors for a week during that eight hours yeah. that he's working for you you don't think about the other 16 yeah, hours they, of his life right so you know things like that are you know you have to take those into account you really have to provide those additional services bayot has done a good job of doing some of those things now and they've they've actually so um i mentioned that we've hired six people well um there's been over 100 people hired in our private sector Mm. um through this program this year wow um average pays around 12 bucks an hour 12 50 an hour Um, about a quarter of those individuals have a college education wow and so this isn't you know the high school dropout these people are co- some of these people are college graduates that are ending up homeless and, and just trying to get back into um, working. Yeah. So, so yeah. So I, I think um, I, I just you know I, there are times I do get frustrated and there are times I get down, um, but I've got I've got to always remember that you know we everybody needs some dignity, and you know what. Um, we should never try to take that away from um, anybody, um, if they're homeless or not. And so I think in our parks, I think people have got to remember, our parks are home to everyone. Our parks aren't built exclusively for the rich or exclusively for the poor. Our parks are designed and built for everybody. So we've got to take that into account that, you know, if, if you're going to build a park near shelters, you need to really think long and hard how you build that park and make it um, welcoming to that homeless population that's going to be there and how you also make it um, welcoming to others. Um, one of the other things I have done in another park, uh, I'm very, I try to be very creative. And I still, still, I still, still, still things from other cities. I mean, still them. I went to um, Portland when I was in Portland. Um, they had attendants for the restrooms, but they also had some park attendants. They just called them park attendants. They were in some of the parks and doing activities. I had a park that was very, a lot of drug selling, close to the shelter areas, just other things. Um, there was a couple things they did. Um, first of all, we renovated the park. We put a new playground in it. Made the, made the, we put a fence around the playground because we used to have people shooting up in the playground area. Mm-hmm. 
put a fence around it, made the fence way too small. Had to go back in and blow the fence out and actually make an area on the grass and put some picnic tables so it was more family-friendly because what was happening is families were trying to go into the playground and you had homeless individuals sitting up against the fence and it just seemed too constricted. Mm-hmm. So we, we, we blew the fence out, made it bigger. There's still areas for homeless individuals or people to sit in the park, but families had a they had more area to, mm-hmm. to enjoy the playground, which was a brand new playground. It was a volunteer project. We put a fitness zone in that park uh, so anybody can work out. Um, there was a area of the park, though, that was um, known for drug sales. Mm-hmm. Just plain and simple, it was known for drug sales. And, and um, I grew up in, in, in near that community. I'm actually, I'm actually black and Japanese. So um, it's, a, it's a historical black park um black community uh, and um it, there was always this place where drugs were sold and, and i was just done seeing pe- drugs being sold in that specific location of that park and looking at the park I'm, I'm not a planner but i was like couldn't we fence off that area of the park um and fence it off and, and actually turn it into a dog dog run like a little dog park and that's what we did and a gentleman actually in that neighborhood's gentrifying and, and and it's a struggle. But I had a gentleman ask me, well, you know, that was just done to help with the gentrification of the neighborhood. And I told him, and I, I spent a lot of time in the parks. Mm-hmm. So they know me. And I looked at him and I said, uh, no, it wasn't. I said, I, I'm the one. I, I take responsibility. I, I, I want it. I was seen drug deals happening in this park. I was seeing our people being sold crack and other drugs in this park. And he was like, and I said, where, where would you see that happen? And he was like, over there, over there where the dog park is. And I said, do you see any drug sales over there right now? And he was like, I guess not. And I said, it was never done to gentrify the neighborhood. I said, it was a positive um, addition to this park. It gave people, black people have dogs. Hispanic people have dogs, white people have dogs. And you are not allowed to have a dog off leash in the city and county of Denver unless you're in a dog park. I said, we did that for the whole community. Now people have a place to take their dogs and let them off leash. And he was like, okay. And he was fine with it. Mm -hmm. And actually that has made that park, there's still some challenges in that park, but it has made that park more more family friendly and actually, that is one of our parks where we actually have homeless populations and the residents actually commingling and doing things. I did hire in that park. Um, we, like I said, had some challenges. Um, there's a pastor that has a church right next door. And um, him and one of the community members, so African-American pastor, uh, I believe he's Baptist, uh, white, um, white guy, two white guys that are partners in the neighborhood. Um, very unorthodox <laughs> team. There. Um, um, really concerned about the community though. Very active. They're, they're advocates. They work incredibly hard. They, they do the flower beds in the park. They volunteer and clean up the flower. They came in my office one day and said, Scott, we're just, we're, we've got all these great improvements. It's going good. But 
we're, we're slipping again and, and the drug dealers are back and, and you know there's only so much you can do we also added security cameras to a lot of our parks too so that's a whole nother thing uh, we have security cameras in our parks that our rangers can actually view um, the the pastor though said scott you know he he's a pastor so he has some free time he's like scott you know I want to tell those drug dealers that they can't be in the park, but I don't work for Parks and Rec. You know, if I worked for Parks and Rec, you know, I'd feel more comfortable telling them they're not allowed in the park. And he was like, you want, can you hire me? And I think he was joking. (laughs) I said, why don't you go right down the hall, do the paperwork, and you can start working next week. So that pastor is still working. We hired him over a year ago. He's still working in that park. He's hired another young man to actually work in the park to just clean up the park, that park. And he goes out and he he has the direct number to the police department. He goes and he cleans up the park. He tells people that come to sell drugs in the park, you're not allowed in this park. This is, I work for Denver Parks and Rec. You are not allowed in this park. And so it's actually... That was one of those creative, um, you know, it, and it didn't take, didn't take a lot of money. I didn't, I had money for seasonals anyway, and it didn't take any money. He he actually had a petting zoo in the park last, at, toward the end of this year. He had a petting zoo where he brought some goats and chickens, and, and he had all the young little black kids out in the park. All the little white kids were all petting the animals. He's had a basketball tournament between the police and the, the kids in the neighborhood. This guy is, he's doing it. Yeah, yeah. And, you know, let let the community help you um, bridge that gap, too. And, and he's made it to the homeless. He tells the homeless, you got to keep the park clean. Uh, one thing we've done in that park, um, we had some serious issues about restrooms and people using the alley that is adjacent mm-hmm, to them. Mm-hmm. So we put a restroom, we put a port lead in the park. But I told everybody, I went into the park. I, I'm a little unorthodox director. I don't always sit in my office, as you <laughs> can tell. I went in the park and actually um, told everybody, I said, we're going to put a port lead in the park and you have to be responsible. You have to make sure that it doesn't become somewhere where people are shooting up. Illegal activity is not happening. It kind of stays clean. We'll have it cleaned every every day, but you guys have to make sure it's not not disrespected. And they've done that. There's been a couple of times where it's gotten to be bad. The police will call me and say, hey, it's got their slipping. I'll pull it. I'll take it out of the park and go out to the park and tell them, you know, talk to everybody and say, hey, you know, we pulled the restroom because... Um, it was starting to be used for drug sales again or shooting up or whatever. That can happen. And then, then they, they agreed and then we put it back in. And it's been it's worked out okay. Um, it's it's People need dignity. It's not right for people to be going to the bathroom in the alley. It's just not. Um, so we do put, uh, try, we try our best to put restrooms in, in, in some of the parks to make sure that people have a, Somewhere to go to the restroom. So it, it's a struggle, and and it sounds like you're doing great things to try to work through it in Denver, Scott. I appreciate you so much sitting down no and, problem, and taking no some problem. time and uh, sharing what you've learned in in Denver with people who are listening to the podcast. Mm, thank you. So I'm in Denver. I'm pretty easy to find. I'm I'm Leslie Nope in Denver. So I know all of everybody. <laughs> you look nothing the, like Leslie Nope, uh, by the way. It's pretty similar. Thank you for listening. This podcast is part of the Homeland Project, 
we invite you to learn more about the project at homelandlab.com. Our work would not be possible without the support of MIG SVR and the Landscape Architecture Foundation's Innovation and Leadership Fellowship. To learn more about the tremendous work of LAF, please visit their website at lafoundation.org. Finally, we want to thank our friends at Yves for the use of their music. You can learn more about the band and find out about their debut album at the sound of y v e s dot com. <laughs>